Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Tales, episode 40. Wow, 40 episodes. That That's really messing with me mentally to think that we've done this for so long. In fact, we're coming up on a year now, so if you're new to the podcast, this is actually um, our one-year anniversary coming up next month, which just blows my mind. I, we have, in this past year, met so many awesome people had so many awesome conversations, and tonight's guest is no exception to that. Tonight's guest is Jordan Hotchkiss, which is a good, dear friend of Tyler Ross from episode 39. Jordan and I had an awesome conversation, from tackling specific questions to sharing his his biggest blunder in the turkey woods. We, we got into the nitty-gritty of mountain hunting and some of the different things to look for. We answered some viewer-submitted questions that really good and specific to his knowledge. We didn't get to go through all of them because we kind of ran out of time towards the end, but we just had a great conversation with a guy that you could just tell if you rolled into camp, he would be one that you just wanted to to pick his brain and, and share a beer with, and he's just an awesome fella. So we'll get to that in just a second, but before we do, we want to thank our partners of the podcast, Wild Edge Incorporated, maker of the simplest most efficient climbing system in the outdoor industry. And of course, Bow Hunter Box Club, the best bow hunting subscription box for bow hunters. Let's get to it. I have got Jordan Hotchkiss. Did I get your last name right, buddy? Yep, nailed it. Daggum right, man. That's about, I'm terrible with names. But uh, <laughs> Jordan's on the phone today. We're going to be talking turkey, which has been a consistent theme for us the past couple of weeks. Uh, actually, the past couple of weeks, we kind of, strayed maybe a little bit from it we put out a, a bonus episode for bowhunter box club and uh we we, we kind of dive dove into the topic of getting new hunters in there and today we're going to just we're going to talk turkey we're going to get back to it and uh tyler ross uh the last uh, guest that we had on the show he said hey man if you enjoyed talking to me you're really going to enjoy talking to this jordan fella um matter of fact i think he even threw you a couple plugs there on the podcast uh that we recorded so i'm, I'm glad to have you dude yeah, man, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm not don't know if I'm qualified, but I'm I'm down to talk hunting any day. <laughs> hey, if you can if you chase birds, if you chase game in the wild, you're qualified to be on this show. We are not some we're not uh, we ain't made it, man. <laughs> we're still there. I'm I'm eight years no turkey, so I can't I can't judge you none. You've you've got more skills than I do. But uh for the guests that we've got uh who who are unfamiliar with who you are, why don't you give them just maybe a little a brief bio as to who you are, um, how long you've been turkey hunting, and, and the GPS coordinates to your favorite honey hole. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, man, so I'm, my name's Jordan Hotchkiss. I am uh, live in Lester, North Carolina, small town in the uh, Appalachian Mountains here. I have been an avid hunter since, oh, man, I mean, since I was six or seven. I mean, I was blessed enough to be you know, born into a family that was heavily involved in the outdoors and, you know, uh, they were deer hunters and, you know, before I was born and not so much turkey hunters. Um, 
so that's kind of been a, a, a venture on my own. I started turkey hunting when I was about uh, 12 years old. And um, I'm at heart, I'm a diehard bow hunter, deer, deer bow hunter. But in the spring, it seems like it always transitions. I'm a diehard turkey hunter. So <laughs> depending on the depending on the season, man, it always flips and flops. But um, yeah, I absolutely love it. Ate up with it. That's funny that you said it like that, and you you kind of admitted that you're kind of seasonal because I've always told Leighton, "Hey, man, I'm a I'm a bow hunter at heart. I'm a bow hunter at heart." And he. He told me the other day, he goes, man, you're not a bow hunter. You're a whatever's in season. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I, I'm obviously much better at bow hunting than I am turkey hunting for deer, you know. But, yeah, he, he said that, and I laughed. I was like, yeah, because as soon as turkey season's over, I start, doing, I start pedaling a little bit and some freshwater fishing and, you know, but, you know, I'm a That's seasonal it, person. Man. Yeah, yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I, I'm glad. I think you're only the second person we've had from the Carolinas. Um you come highly regarded, so we're glad to have you. But uh, I think I think the way we ought to start this show off, uh, being that we're going to stay with stories as much as possible, why don't you give us your worst turkey story? I, I feel like this is only fair because uh, <laughs> Tyler was willing to admit uh, his uh, four missed turkey. I, I, figured, <laughs> I figured we ought to level the playing field a little bit. Would you mind sharing your, your worst turkey blunder with us? Oh man, my worst one. Golly, I've had so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to learn though, right? That's it. Um, let's see here. I think probably, man, uh, one of my worst, I tell you, I like to think of every worst hunt as a- any hunt in general. I always try to reflect, you know, like anybody and figure out what, whether it's successful or not, what I did right, what I did wrong. So I can always remember that the next time that being said, I think my, my worst hunt, which was also an awesome hunt and a huge learning experience was actually last year. Um, for the past three years, I've kind of been trying to kill, uh, more turkeys with my bow and specifically on film by myself. Um, and last year I had a morning where I had had a bird, you know, hammer on the roost he had multiple hens with him, started working him, you know, so actually got uh, a hen started cutting on the limb. Um, she knows she skipped the tree up and everything just started hammering. So I was like, okay, so we started going back and forth on the limb. I usually don't call to birds when they're on the limb. I like for them to, to hit the ground, but you know, I wanted him to know and her to know that, that I was up there to try to get, you know, peak his interest and really peak her interest to try to, you know, draw them in anyways. Um, so we went back and forth. They finally flew down and I had set up, um, on the edge uh, of this little, we don't have many fields, you know, here in West North Carolina, but this particular area, we had a little field on a ridge top and I had tried to set when, when I'm bow hunting turkeys, I don't use a blind or anything, nothing wrong with using a blind, but I'm so, I'm so mobile when I hunt, I like to just be able to pick up and take off. Um, so when I bow hunt, I try to get behind a tree. I try to put you know, a tree between me and where I think the bird's going to come and come from. And I'll have my camera set up on the tripod, like right to the right or the left of the tree. So I'm basically, you know, trying to film and, and, and get the turkey coming and, and, you know, adjust the angles and the lens and then, you know, stand up, draw and shoot. Um, so anyways, I finally worked this bird and, uh, he, he comes up the ridge just perfect. And I pick up my bow, I adjust the camera and of course, I go to draw back, and he sees the tip of my arrow from the edge of the tree. I didn't have any decoys out, so he really? starts putting. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So he starts. Yeah. So he starts putting, goes around the edge of the hill. So he was spooked, but he wasn't spooked enough to take off or fly. So he he was so fired up, he goes around the edge and it just goes about 100 yards deep into the woods and just starts hammering. I mean, he's answered me so. About five minutes goes by. He's hammering, just gobbling. I mean, every minute, minute and a half. And all of a sudden, I hear two more gobbles way off in the distance in this holler. Same holler he came out of, which I had not heard. So I start calling to this bird who I know is spooked, but he's not spooked enough to, to leave because I knew that having, keeping him fired up was going to bring these other two in. So I'm going back and forth with this bird. So he's hammering. Every time he gobbles, these other two birds gobble. He gobbles, he's gobbles. So 15, about 15 minutes later of working these birds, 
here they come, pop up over the ridge. Now, in between the time that I had spooked that first bird and, and calling these, I had sprinted across the other side of the field because they were coming from the same holler, but from the direction that I expected them to, to, to come or the edge of the ridge was going to be the other side. So I knew being across the other side of that field, I would get a little bit more cover because the sun had come up a little bit and the sun was kind of hitting me in the face. So I wanted to get back in the shadows under a big pine tree as, as much as I could and kind of hide behind that pine. Cause you know, when the sun's hitting you in the face, everything's shiny. But, um, anyway, so to make a long story longer, <laughs> I finally worked these birds up this ridge. They both come up just, you know, I don't know how big they were. They both had paint brushes on them, but they come through the, come through the field at a pretty good pace. Didn't have a decoy out again obviously so i'm sitting there trying to mess with my camera i draw back i mid draw and they both see me and take off flying <laughs> so within a matter of about 45 minutes i spooked three long beards and didn't get a shot at any of them oh okay do you i have to ask you really think he saw the tip of your arrow oh yeah 100 percent. wow yeah yeah he uh he just you know i had the camera and i had my bow sitting kind of you know, on the bottom limb up against a tree and the way he came in, he, he, he came in a little faster than I thought into that field. So by the time I had picked up my bow, my arrow was just the only thing showing. And, you know, I think there's advantages and disadvantages. You know, I don't use decoys that much, nothing wrong with them, but you know, in these mountains, a lot of times it's so thick, it's really just, it's, it's kind of a waste of time. But this particular morning where he was roosted, it probably would have benefited me to have one, but when you're calling these birds, you know, just from my experience, when they close in the distance and, you know, turkeys can pinpoint where that noise is coming from. I'm sure you've experienced it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, so as soon as they come into, into range where they last heard that hen, I think the first slight bit of movement, if, if they'll pick up on it and if they see it and it's not a turkey, they immediately get spooked. I, I I could see that. Yeah, it, it's probably the movement more than anything, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So l- let me ask you this: kind of backing backing into this story, why why don't you call birds on the roost? Uh, man, you know, uh, sometimes I will. I just, you know, with I, I've seen so many times in my earlier years of hunting, of you know, I'll get them fired up, I'll get them fired up. And sometimes, you know, they won't fly down. They'll wait forever to fly down. And then sometimes, you know, I'll have them fired up and they'll fly down, shut up and go the other way. And I never see them again. So it's all situational, obviously. But as a general rule, I like to wait. You know, I might give them a few soft tree yells, just a few, just to let them know I'm in the area. And and if they don't answer me, I might lay back. If they do, I might give it to them just a little bit more. But majority of the time, I don't, but I just play it by ear. You know, it's it's kind of a situational type thing. Well, let's let's add let's add an, a layer to that to to that idea. Are you a public land or, or private land hunter for turkey? I hunt both. Okay, I hunt, I hunt both. both. So how yeah. does how does hunting each change your approach to them being on the roost? I would I would be more apt to call the turkeys on the roost on private land. So and I'm 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 assuming that's you're attributing that to uh, less calling. They're yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause where we, you know, where we hunt around here is I'm sure where you're at too. It's, it's, it's pretty pressured. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, and the, and the things you see is pretty funny, but with, with other hunters. But oh yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Well, don't, don't lose that train of thought. We're going to come to that for sure. That's, okay. So I guess, would you say that calling to birds on the roost tends to have either a negative effect or no effect at all? I mean, I know there's always with turkey hunting, you can't call them across water. Well, my co-host called one across a small river. I mean, there's, oh, always, that's awesome. there's, there's, there's all, yeah, dude, he's a freaking stud. He's having a hard year <laughs> this year like everybody else down here. But he's just, he defies anything, any rule that you put on the book saying you can't do with a turkey, he's done, he's found a way to, to add a, a, a comma. But if your name's Leighton Harvey, you can do this just fine. Um, that's awesome. But generally speaking, t- calling to him on the roost with any degree of aggression, either kind of has like a, a a null effect on them or, or a negative effect? I mean, I think... Not trying to put words in your mouth, but... No, 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 no. I'm not going to say it has a negative effect, but I, I don't think, you know, it, in hunting turkeys, it's almost like a risk versus reward. I don't think the risk of, of, of calling, you know, heavily calling to a bird on the roost 
is worth the reward because I like to save. I like to keep tricks in my bag until I know he can play. When he's in the when he's in the tree, he can't play. He can't do anything until he's on the ground. That's when I want to really start working him. If I call to him at all, it's just to let him know to get me in his head. Hey, I'm over here. There's a hen over here. So if you didn't call to him on the roost, with the first thing you do might be a fly down, fly down cackle, or do you just start with uh, acting as if you you're you're the bird on the ground from there? Yeah, I mean, and I'll do a cackle every now and then, but again, that's one of those things. Now, I'll keep a wing in my vest. I'll at least do a fly down. I don't always do a cackle because I don't really hear cackles that much. I mean, I'll hear them a little bit, but, you know, they sound awesome on, on you know, when you got the guys on competitions. I mean, God, I could listen to it all freaking day. Oh, yeah. But, uh, and I'll do it every now and then, but, you know, I will do a, a fly down with a wing at least and then do some soft yelping. Um, you know, maybe some clucking. I definitely start scratching the leaves. Um, but yeah, I, I will do something to let him know I'm over there for sure. Let's say you're on heavily pub- pressured public land. I'm okay. talking like they're hearing calling all day, every day. But you mm-hmm. know, there's a bird in a certain area. How close to the roost would you set up, and when would you start your calling? Well, it's going to depend. Obviously, there's so many variables. I mean, it's going to depend on it's going to depend on the terrain. Let me let me throw this one last kink at you. Okay, okay. The birds historically all season long are not talking. Okay, they're not. They haven't been talking. Yep. Maybe a, maybe a just off the roost, they'll talk once or twice to you, and then it's dead silence in the turkey wood. Well, if that's the case, I mean, on public land, if I have him spotted. Or I know, you know, I roosted him. I will try to get in as close as possible. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be so close to where you, because I've done that a ton of times too. Obviously, it's like you think you're fine, and then next thing you know, it's nine o'clock, and the bird's still on the limb because he's scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've done that plenty of times where I'm like, there's no way I spooked him, but I know I have. Um, so it's a fine line. I mean, on public ground though, I'm probably gonna get as close as I can try to get within that bubble to where, you know, obviously they're getting called to all the time to where it's not going to take much calling. And I think getting on the edge of that bubble and really just doing some real soft, subtle stuff that, that, you know, just nice and quiet, some leaf scratching, some clucking, a little purring, maybe some soft, like feeding yelps, just enough to where you're close enough to where he can come check out to see what you are, but it's not going to be out of his way to come check you out. But you're not loud enough to where it's like, oh, it's a hunter, and fly off the other way. I've hunted, I've hunted public land in uh, two states for turkeys, and the scenario that I put out there, while it also applies to most uh, uh, accurately to the current season I'm having, I found that uh, at least in in South Georgia, Southeast Georgia, and North Florida, uh, the the uh, the ease of finding a bird that will consistently talk to you is very very slim i think i think part of that is most of our public land around here is hit by a heavy population and Mm -hmm. uh it's the the the, both of these states both believe heavily in making sure anybody can access anything with as many roads as humanly possible that's rough it is it's very difficult uh for all seasons and i think it's just one of those i I just thought it'd be an interesting conversation because there's got to be a ton of other people who are experiencing uh infrequent calling because we we went turkey hunting two weeks ago, dude. I took I took uh, Derek with me, and we hit four pieces of public land before we got a bird to talk to us. It was the fourth Oof. bird. It was the fourth piece of land that morning. I think we put in an hour and a half worth of driving, and I've got part parcels all over here before we found a bird that was talking. And one piece of property, which is nineteen hundred acres approximately, every block of timber had two hunters on it. Just wow. y'all, 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 y'all. We'd get out the truck and we'd walk out there, and I'd go to I'd go to shot gobble. And the first time we heard we heard yelp, and I, I'm sitting there like, oh man, there's a hen over here. And then another dude on the other side of the clear cut gets to go, and I'm like, oh, dad, yep, there's two more guys over here, man. Yeah. <laughs> we go to the next block, and we just we got to where we got out the truck, and we just shut up and listen. And sure enough, you'd hear somebody just. And this one guy, dude, I swear to God, he did not stop his his yelping sequence for 33 <laughs> solid seconds. It was ridiculous. He literally, oh, it was just great. yelp, 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 yelp. And every once in a while, he'd let go to a purr, 
But then he's like, oh, no, 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 this isn't what I need to do. And he goes straight back into the Yelps. And there's no way he killed a bird. That If he killed a bird, I'm going to be livid because <laughs> just on the principle of the matter. But, uh, yeah. you know, they hear so much calling around here that I've tried to, you know, think about that cleverly and think, okay, well, what can I do differently and at the same time not get cute, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's that's where that originated. But I, I kind of – I want to take this back, and I think this is another uh, component to your story that I think people will find interesting. Why, when, and why the transition to bow hunting turkeys? What was what was your reasoning, and and how how far into turkey hunting did you decide to to take it up with a stick and string? Man, I mean, you know, with with bow hunting, you know, initially I started you know shooting a bow when I was twelve, and my granddad bought me one out of a Cabela's magazine, it had plastic wheels, <laughs> plastic uh, cans. I mean, it oh, was, nice. a, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was just the old, uh, bear whitetail. I think so. It was, and I was just, you know, I just got obsessed with, with shooting a bow and I don't know. It's like, I've almost, I've always liked to make things harder on myself. I don't know why, but, uh, I just love archery, man. I just love the, I just love, you know, I just, I like shooting guns too, but I just love being able to get out and fling arrows and the, the preparation and, you know, the thought that goes into, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get on the deer train, but setting stands and just, you know, the, all the stuff you have to do to get prepared and it just kind of transition into turkeys. Now, um, I didn't start bow hunting turkeys until about really actively going after them with a bow until about three years ago. Now I had to take about a, seven year hiatus from turkey hunting uh i actually i played baseball in college and then i played professionally for five years so i was gone every spring for basically seven years so i couldn't turkey hunt at all and it was rough i mean every spring i love ball but i'm like oh my god i want to be turkey hunting so i got home in 2012 uh and finally got back on the train and you know i tagged out the first three years uh, with my shotgun and I was like, man, this is awesome. So happy to be back. But then it was just like, you know, I just want to, let's see what I can do with a bow. So I just started chasing him with a bow. <laughs> now I still, I still, I still, I'm not to the point where, uh, I'm not to the, uh, with Jordan Barnes, uh, I'm not to the point <laughs> of like, I'm not, I'm not like fully committed. Uh, like I, I usually like to maybe get one under the belt each season with my shotgun and then I'll spend the rest of the season chasing with my bow. But, but uh, it's just, and you know, it's just, I just, I just love the difficulty of it. Well, I think, I think anybody can appreciate that. I mean, that's, I'm in a similar situation. If anybody who's listening right now will will laugh because we started off this about in December. I told Leighton I was dead set on killing a bird with the tur- uh, t- killing a turkey with a bow this year, and he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sounds like a great idea." Then he slowly started to change his dialogue to. Well, maybe you ought to get at least one with the gun this year. And, you know, it's been eight years. You know, maybe you should just. And then finally, he's like, Walt, I'm going to tell you, man, you're making this too daggum hard on yourself. It's been eight years since you ain't killed a turkey. Uh, maybe you ought to stick, leave the stick and string at home. And uh, lucky for him, I came down with a serious case of target panic. So uh, I, I have lost every arrow I have, and I'm working through that. So that. Oh, man, that's rough. Yeah, it, it is. I've but, been there. Oh, God. It's, it's particularly bad, man. It's. Uh, yeah, I lost six arrows in the span of about three days, and I have Oof. I have not ordered arrows largely because I just kind of want to give myself a mental break from it. But yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's my Leighton. He is he is wrapped up in his business. That is his his bread and butter. That's what he thinks about all time. Archery is mine, and I kind of feel like maybe I was overthinking it to an extent. If you know what I'm saying, it's oh, absolutely. You know, it's easy to do. Start questioning your equipment and maybe my anchor point, and do I need to change my <laughs> elbow a little bit? You know, and it's like you're just yep. just let it sit. Go get you some arrows in a couple months, and and just see where you sit after that. You know, but uh, yeah, I think that's solid advice. But yeah, I was like you. I I wanted to kill a bird. I wanted to kill a deer with my bow before I had a I had a bear recurve. Uh, in, the oh, early, nice. in the early 2000s, it was this, like, uh, they experimented, and it was like a TK takedown or something, and it was an aluminum riser with these graphite limbs, dude. And I was proficient as hell at about five yards, and my dad <laughs> <laughs> my dad put me in the stand, and, and I know he put me in the daggum possum hole because, you know, he wasn't about to let me draw back on a deer, but he also, you know, I wasn't going to take the gun with me anywhere, and uh, it took me about, 
six st- sits in the stand before I decided to pick the gun back up, you know. But um, now I've been bow only for 12 years, dude. I mean, that's with the, with the exception of turkeys, which I hope to get to that point one day too. That's it. That's me too, man. I haven't uh, I haven't killed a deer in about mm, – 10 or 11 years on my rifle i just i just love i just love bow hunting and people look at me like i'm crazy carrying a bow in rifle seats and they're like what are you doing i'm like i sorry man i just i love it <laughs> well before before bow hunting became like the overly popular trend that it is now like you know in the early 2000s at least in my neck of the woods bow hunting was kind of like this novelty thing that if you were really well off and you'd bought all the toys you wanted you went and bought yourself a bow as well because you might as well you know your money burning a hole in your pocket you know, there were no archery clubs. Or, hell, there wasn't even a pro shop. There was this dude who had educated himself. I, I, I shit you not. I asked him, I said, hey, man, you know, how'd you learn all this? Because I'm wanting to learn. He's like, well, if you blow up enough bows, you know what not to do. And I'm like, <laughs> shit, okay, well, <laughs> I guess I'm driving an hour to get to a bow tech because uh, I'll never forget. And th- th- he ended that conversation with, yeah, and I can make you some custom strings. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can, oh, Bubba. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but I you were talking about you know people make you know commenting on how hard you're making yourself. The old timers down at Deer Camp when I started out, you're never gonna kill anything with that thing. You're never gonna kill anything with that thing. And then I killed some, and they still just dismissed it. And by the time it was all said and done, they were making rules to prevent me from killing too many deer during the early part <laughs> of deer season. They were like, you can only kill one during bow season because I was killing three and four deer before they could even get in the woods during gun season. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was like a it was the best. You know, F you tell me I can't do this. It wasn't mean. It was just one of those things like, you know, skepticism more than anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Skepticism absolutely. turned jealousy. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, let, let's get back to turkeys. I took us down a, down a, a rabbit hole there. I didn't mean to. You, well, you know what? It's kind of turkey related. I almost forgot this. You mentioned seeing some really odd things while turkey hunting. What did you mean by that comment? I am thoroughly intrigued. <laughs> just, uh, uh, mainly it's when you know me and tyler are out hunting public land um i'm just thinking of just a few i mean you know anything from guys driving to the there's this one guy that that he's he's there every year he comes to the end of each road public road and he'll get out he drives his old ford truck you can hear him come from a mile away he'll get out slam his door and step out and blow crow call about 10 times and get back in his truck and take off he does it every year and me and tyler's like oh there's old boy with a ford blowing the crow call um (laughs) one day we were sitting there and i saw something out of the corner of my eye and i looked and there was a guy in a in a uh bright orange hunter orange jumpsuit walking through the field (laughs) carrying a shotgun and a decoy no (laughs) yeah so stuff like that man that goes on and like we wonder why the turkeys are so educated on public land but oh my god your kid i cannot that is the epitome of stupid like the guy with the turkey the crow call man he you can chalk that up to strategy he ain't getting out the truck unless he hears turkey okay yeah The, the, the guy with the high viz orange jumpsuit what the hell was he thinking yeah i don't know man god i don't know Oh, that that's why folks that's why i hadn't killed a turkey in eight years right there there's people with orange <laughs> blaze orange jumpsuits i blame them funny thing about the guy in the truck me and tyler were on a bird and he was hammering that morning and the guy pulls up and we're like what in the hell is this guy doing first time we ever saw him he hops out slams the door blows a crow call gets in his truck slams the door and the bird gobbles and he drove off <laughs> <laughs> He never heard it. Are you he didn't serious? Until he got back in the truck, yeah. Tell me you killed that bird. We did not. Oh, God. We that'd did been not. The, that would have been the best way to have ended that story. I know. I know. We did not. I don't know if he messed it up. He flew off the other way, but, but uh, yeah. But it's tough, man. Yeah, no. I mean, there's some – public land is always interesting, man. I, I, last year, it's on my Instagram somewhere, we were turkey hunting – did, I don't want to repeat this story to you if you've already heard it. Have you listened to the, the, the turkey hunting episode with me and Colin? No. Okay. All right. That's way, way back. So I assumed you hadn't. We were turkey hunting this river bottom swamp that was bought, I don't know, four or five years back. And we're we're going after this bird. And this bird now is like the exception to the rule. This thing's hammering every time you touch the call. Like you think about Colin, he knew you were about to, and he'd just fire off double gobble. This bird should have been dead, man. 
should have been dead, is being the key word there. And key words. We're like freaking armo, uh, uh, army crawling on the ground, dude, through, through what we realized later was poison ivy, which was stupid. Oh, my gosh. Um, we didn't get it on us because we were fully dressed up, thank God. But we're like, this bird just wouldn't come. So we we would army crawl 30 yards and then set up thinking, okay, well, let's keep cutting the distance like a hen would do. You know, 30 yards at a time, eventually he'll come. He's hung up. He's hung up. We didn't know what the hell we were doing, but they sounded like good. it was a good plan at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we get, I mean, we go like a solid, I'm not making this up. I can show it to you on the GPS, anybody who wants to call my bluff on this. We crawled a solid 600 yards to get to this oh bird. Oh, my gosh. All up and down. And the whole time, I keep smelling shit, dude. Like literal <laughs> shit. And I'm like, what in the oh, no. world? And I, I asked my buddy Colin, I was like, dude, did you step in something? Like, did you mess yourself? And he's like, no, what are you smelling? He doesn't smell it, he doesn't smell it. So we chase this bird all the way down the end of this peninsula. And this finger runs right out into this creek where there was like an oxbow in the river. We went all the way down this peninsula, cautious as heck. It's like 11, it's like 1045 now, 11 o'clock. We've been working this bird since like 7. The reason we thought the bird was so close was because he was on the edge of that peninsula on the other side of the river, caught, gobbling back to us, and it was coming down the river, which was to our right. So it sounded like he was super close, but there was a solid 600 yards with the woods in front of us. So we crawled all the way to the river's edge thinking, no, where the hell did this bird go? And then he double gobbles on the other side. I'm talking 20 yards from us, man. I just it was it was private land. I couldn't shut. Had it been oh, public man. land, he would have died, and I would have got down in my skivvies and swam across that creek to have got that. Bird. Absolutely, um, big old bird too, dude. Big old joker. Well, anyways, on on the way back, talking about the weird, you know, getting back to the weird things. On the way back, Colin slaps me on my shoulder and goes, "Well, there, there's the poop you were smelling earlier." And we look up, and someone has built an outhouse out in the middle of this oxbow that we had crawled past. And they had dug, they had dug a pit. I got photos of it on Instagram. They dug a pit, built a built a, a an outhouse, and I'm thinking, okay, well, surely this is from back when this was a private plantation. You know, maybe they had like a primitive camp down here by the river, and the ladies wanted somewhere to go. Then we come around the corner, and there was a freshly ziplocked uh, zip double roll of Charmin and Lysol. Two cans of Lysol still in the plastic. I mean, brand spanking new. So somebody's still using this piece uh, of this poop site, okay? And and I'm like, I told Kyle, I was like, dude, it's going to take a hell of a lot more than some Lysol to have sat on that daggum toilet, man. There's no way. I mean, it was so weird. It's it's, it's a thousand plus something yards, dude, from, from the nearest walkable road. That is weird. It was, it was so bizarre. The only thing... The only thing that I can think of is literally somebody likes to fish that river so much that <laughs> that they thought they should invest in an outhouse. Or maybe there's some kind of canoeing path that comes through there, and that's a designated campsite that we didn't know uh, about yeah. or something. That could be yeah. be the case. But it yeah, was just – it was so freaking weird, dude. It was – Blew my mind to find it out there. It was a little creepy, actually, because I kind of started that to wonder, is, like, who's watching? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, are there some no hobos telling. out here that are like, if they go in there, we're going to kill them, you know? Or, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. God. Yeah, it was it was bizarre, man. It was it was a good time. Um, yeah, so there's there's weird shit on public land, y'all. <laughs> there is. So, that's funny. So, you know, one of our questions, and then we can just kind of – bounce through this it's kind of interesting you touched on this in your story a little bit you know you're in north carolina you're hunting a lot of it sounds like some pretty uh, mountainous terrain am i correct yes one of the one of the listeners uh, posed this question and i'm sure there's be a good a good dialogue to be had here <clears throat> he said uh it, when mountain hunting if roosting trees are in the valleys off a river where do i set up to get those birds i'm guessing he's saying uh up on the ridge or down in the valley with them can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? In mountain hunting, if the roosting trees are in the, where now? Repeat in, the question. In the valleys on top of a river. So they're roosting over a river in a valley in a mountain mountainous area. Okay. Hmm. Is that typical or would you say would they be up on the ridge? Well, I tell you, man, birds around here, they usually do like most of the time they, they'll, they'll roost on the ridge and they might fly down into the valley. Um, that's what we typically find. They, they roost on top and they'll fly down the, especially if you can find some fields. I mean, 
they'll roost up on the hardwood ridge and fly down to the bottom of the field. If I was, <clears throat> if I was hunting birds that were, you know, already roosted in the valley, um, you know, obviously there's, there's so many variables. I mean, if there's cover, if there's cover close enough to where I can get in on those birds and I'm going to set up on them. I mean, as close as I can get, if I know, you know, typically the turkeys around here, they fly down low and then they'll work up and they, they, that's what they do. They fly down low and they work up throughout the day. They'll start in the fields and work up to the hardwoods and then feed out throughout the woods during the day, looking for acorns and whatever. But so if I knew that property knew where those, where those birds were, were heading, then I would, you know, possibly set up, um, you know, I think it's easier, you know, you probably heard this. I don't want, I don't know if you have cause you're hunting flatland, but they say it's easier to call a turkey uphill than it is downhill. I think, you know, that is somewhat correct. So, um, I have always had better luck calling turkeys up. So if I had, if I had no idea what was going on, I would try to get in as close to it as I could. And I would try to get above them. I don't, I don't hunt any kind of serious terrain. The, the, the swamp bottoms around here, there's normally like one big, I don't know, 20 foot or 30 foot drop off that you've, you know, where the river bottom has come through the floodplain. Uh, yeah, but that's that's about the extent of the 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 terrain. So maybe let's broaden this out because I think this hunter is a new turkey hunter. Okay, um, he's cutting his teeth. Um, he's kind of made some comments before. I think he's cutting his teeth up in in uh, the Georgia mountains. What, okay, what, let's just let's say uh, this this fellow could ask you like, give me one piece of advice for mountain hunting on public land. What would you What would you say to shorten his learning curve? Hmm. I mean, if you got maybe two, that's fine too. I'm just trying to keep it, you know, not asking you to yeah. divulge all your secrets, obviously. Oh man, I don't care. I'm half the fun of hunting, man, is getting other people involved and trying. I get nowadays, I get just as much fun and excitement as helping somebody else get a bird as I do killing one myself. Um, man, it's a, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I would think, you know, some people. I'm an aggressive. I'm an aggressive turkey hunter. I. And that, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned, you know, I guess I'm calculated at being aggressive. Um, I, I try to push the limits. So, I mean, for him, I would just say, you know, try to get in as, as close as you can without, I mean, it, it, if anybody's hunted, they know how loud, I mean, you know, you're a deer hunter. Turkeys are so loud going through the woods. I mean, like I'm sitting there in the deer stand and I hear, a flock of turkeys and right when i hear them i think you know it's a buck chasing doe and then i'm like oh damn it's turkeys <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. so i've done that many times yeah yeah so <laughs> you can't be scared you don't have to be i mean that's it, a, a benefit of of you know that they're loud so you don't have to worry obviously you don't want to be going snapping sticks and everything else but you know don't now don't do this in the dark but i would sit back and try to wait try to see if you can wait to to look where they fly down and just try to get in there, man. Walk, walk slowly, but don't worry about making noise. Um, I wouldn't overcall, you know, as you're, as you're walking, maybe, you know, you can make some clucks and purrs or whatever, but, but, um, I think just, just go after them. I mean, be aggressive. You're not going to kill them by being, by being, you know, I don't know really how to articulate just by, by not, not going after them. You're never going to kill them. I mean, try it. That's how you learn. I mean, that's, that's the biggest advice. Just, just go after them. I mean, go after it. Don't overcall, and and don't be scared to get close in the daylight after they're on the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think I've come. I, I think that's actually really great advice because I was way too on the cautious side. Um, you know, it, way way too cautious. Like, there's a gobble. Set down. Put the decoys out. Get the gun up. Okay, take it. Take his temperature. What's he doing? Is he coming? Yelp. You know, like I think. As I heard on some of the podcasts, like turkey hunting's hard not because the birds are smart, but because they're so stupid they're they're tough to hunt. And I don't know how true that is because they've outsmarted me. But it's one of those things where I've kind of come to the mindset, especially on these heavily um, 
heavily pressured public land. If I bust the bird by being too aggressive, fine. I'll, I'll learn my boundaries that way. But it's not like I'm hunting private land where if I bust him, it's going to drastically change his behavior by chance. These birds are getting busted all the time. I just told the story about the guy yelping for 33 consecutive seconds. Yeah. You know, like the, it's almost like, you know, the Dan Infault idea up there where if you bust deer out of its spot, it's fine come back to that spot and stay there because that's obviously preferred bedding. They're getting pushed all over the place. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, calculated aggression. I think that's, that's, a, I think that's what you said, right? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you, you know, I think if you bust a bird, you know, if you, now if you call him, if you're calling him and you work him and he comes in and you bust him, then you've educated him. I think if you bust him by walking or you spook him, he sees you in spooks. I don't think, just in my experience, it's not going to really change the patterns of that turkey. It might that day or the next day. But eventually, you know, I mean, you see these turkeys, they have their strut zone where they like to be. They strut there for years until they die or get killed. So they're going to come back to where they're they're comfortable with and what they know. But if you don't, you know, educate them and just spook them, I think you're fine. Well, one of the other questions that folks, folks asked us is, is how – do you take the temperature of the bird? You know, Jordan Barnes started that conversation, you know, take the temperature. And that's something that, that I'm getting asked a lot. And I kind of wish I had maybe prodded a little more, oh, yeah. to get some more out of him, but maybe give you, give us your ideal setup of, you know, you, you know where a bird is, uh, I don't know, mid morning or something like that. And the bird is talking to you. How do, what is your routine generally to take the temperature of the bird? Well, I can give you a scenario from this Saturday of almost that exact situation. Um, so me and my buddy, I was trying to help my buddy get a bird. He hadn't killed one in a couple of years. <clears throat> we went to a piece and, and found some birds. Um, they had a bunch of hens with them, kind of pulled them off. And around 9 o'clock, a crow called and one of them fired up. So, you know, immediately I knew that that bird would talk. I mean, you know, sometimes – that doesn't always mean that, but he gobbled multiple times while that crow was calling. So we kind of got around him and, uh, cross little Creek. He was strutting on the edge of a, a ridge with a big laurel thicket. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, oh, it's yeah. kind of like we're just rhododendrons mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. yeah. Big laurel thicket. We couldn't see where he was, but he had gobbled probably four or five times in a matter of 15 minutes. So, I knew that he was starting to heat up a little bit. It seemed, you know, obviously them hens had, had left him. So we crossed the creek, and I just wanted to see if he'd answer me. So I knew he was gobbling. I really had nothing to lose. So, you know, depending on the situation, this is private land. Hadn't been called to that much, so I cut at him. I cut at him real hard and, and quick, just a hard cut, and he answered me. So I knew right then that that bird was hot. I mean, he was he 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 was looking for hens. He answered me immediately. So in that case, what I did then after taking the temperature and realizing he was hot is I told my buddy to sit down. We sat down and I shut up. I didn't make another sound for about five minutes. He gobbled again. I did a soft yelp and I scratched the leaves. He answered me. I said, okay. I told him, buddy, I said, we're not going to call again. So I waited about probably six, seven minutes. He gobbled again. He's looking for me. You could just see it. You know, you could see the, the, the scenario playing out. He's looking. He's looking. Where are you at? He gobbles. Then this time I purred and I scratched the leaves. When I scratched the leaves, he gobbled. So I knew then that he was coming. I mean, there's no doubt. Um, long story short, we didn't make another sound. He came up. There was a dead log in front of us laying on the ground. My buddy had a red dot sight on his shotgun. The bird was at 25 yards. He had the bird in his red dot, but he didn't realize his barrel was below the, oh my the dead tree. So he blew a hole in the tree. In the tree oh. that <laughs> but it was another it was another good learning experience. I mean, we, we played the turkey perfect. We could tell he was hot. So when I find – try to get back to your question. When I'm taking the temperature of a bird, I mean – if I, if I haven't had any communication with that bird and he gobbles, I'm going to go at him hard real quick just to, just to see what, he, what he'll what he do. If I go at him hard and he doesn't answer me, then I'll, I'll 
I'll, I'll back off a little bit. Um, if I go hard in the answers, then I might go at them hard just a few more times and then I'll back off because I don't want to be too aggressive because if I'm too aggressive and he's answering me, he's, he's probably going to wait, wait on me. So I want to tease him just enough to where I get him excited and then I shut up to where he has to come looking for me, obviously, because that's what we want. I got you. So let's say let's say it went the other way around. Let's say that you got one, one or maybe uh, two independent single gobbles to your calls. How would you have changed that scenario? How, what would you have done differently? Let's say he's not he's not super invested in you. If he's not super invested in me, and I, if he answered my cut or he wasn't you know as interested, I would, I'd sit there. I would sit down. I'd give it a minute. I'd hit him hard again. If he didn't answer me, then I would I would wait. I would try to wait until he gobbled again. Um, I don't want to overcall him because, like I said, you know I kind of want to keep the the tricks in the bag until I know he's ready to play. I might take out a crow call and blow it right in his face. I mean, a lot of times that'll you know just get him to gobble just to just to tell me where he's at. If he's moving and not in my direction, I will get up and try to go around him or cut him off or just get and you want to make it as easy for him to come check you out as possible when they're not wanting to come, you know, however far it is through whatever it is. I try to get as close as I can without spooking them to where they're fine with saying, okay, I got a hint over here. Let's go see what's going on. Um, and just, you know, try to get them to come in. That makes sense. That crow call trick is actually freaking brilliant. I'm actually kind of pissed off. I didn't think about that this past weekend because that would have that would have <laughs> that would have been a, a game changer on that on that on the bird that I I played. We went back and forth, man, and and he actually free gobbled, if that's even a term. I don't know, but I was gobbling. I was yelping way down the ridge, and as I was coming back, I mean, I hadn't said anything in probably 15 minutes. He fired off, and I was actually kind of, I was telling Leighton on the way home, I was cussing and kicking my feet, and I was kind of pissed off, because I'd, I'd walked all the way down this ridge to where I knew there was a bird roosting, couldn't get him to talk to me. So I, I, I'd got up early, it looked at the time like it was going to be my last uh, weekend to hunt birds, and and uh, I'm coming down, and I hear the gobble off to my side, I was like, Dad, gum, is that a gobble? And I sat there for a second, like, there's no way I am I am stomping down this daggum ridge. And that couldn't have been but 100 <laughs> yards from me. So I, I yelped real light. And about five minutes later, he gobbled again. I thought, okay, this bird ain't super hot. But yeah. I, was looking, I started looking around, and where I was, this little opening in the pines, there was a lot of scratching, and then there was a lot of, of – of, uh, where he had been dragging his wings, strutting and whatnot. And I said, okay, this is a spot they're likely to end up. He ain't that far. And I, I set yep. up and I just did a, just a little light purr and a little puck here and there, a light purr, and then I shut up. And I just sat there watching that opening. And about five, six minutes later, he gobbled again, and you could tell he was closer. And you could hear him mm-hmm. in the thicket. He was coming through the thicket. He had no, And that's where he was to begin with. It was just this little oak clear-cut thicket. And he's coming through it, and you could hear him in there walking around. You could even hear him dragging his wings. I mean, he was already strutting. He would not come out of that thicket. And I, I stayed quiet, and I thought, okay, Bird ain't talking too much. Don't invest in him more than he's invested in you, just like Jordan said. So I got up, circled around him, and came in behind him. I was actually having to crawl on my hands and knees because if you're standing at human level, it looks thick. You get down to a turkey's level, it was actually pretty open back in there. So I'm on my hands and knees keeping an eye out for him, got closer to him, coming down the ridge, did some light pl- uh, yelping, did a little rustling the leaves. He gave me one more gobble, stayed right there, and I think he must have had a hen with him that just wasn't making any noise. Mm-hmm. He just was not coming out of that thick stuff. And th- there's no way I would have been able to get close enough to him. He wouldn't have seen me coming. You know, I probably got within about yeah. 40, 50 yards of him at closest, and that was on that original setup. But it's uh it's an interesting dance talking to you and talking to Jordan and folks like that. It's it's made me look at turkeys a, a lot differently. It is, man. I mean, it's it's that's exactly right. It's a dance. I mean, it's it's playing the the game of you know trying to make him want you, but you know not 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 playing you know kind of like Jordan said that 
it's kind of like dating, you know, you don't want to act over interested because then yeah. <laughs> they'll play hard to get. You kind of want to play yeah, hard to get, yeah. but, but, uh, I'll tell you a funny story real quick about, uh, kind of one of my luckiest hunts and it kind of played into that almost that same scenario with taking the bird's temperature and almost very similar to what you just have had happen to you. Um, I had got permission to hunt a little place across from my house. Um, when we first, me and my wife first moved into the place four years ago. And, um, I went over and asked the farm if I could get permission. And he said, yeah, I told him, I said, and that's another good thing with bow hunting. You know, people that have cattle and livestock, Hey man, I'm just bow hunting. You know, I'm not going to have a gun or anything. Oh, okay. Well, if you just want to hop the fence and bow hunt, you can do that. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, so, uh, me and my, uh, my wife are packing up to go to Arkansas for my buddy's wedding. It's in the middle of the day and I'm in the driveway getting the car ready. And, uh, I knew there was this big bird and he only roosted in this one spot where I could hunt him every, maybe once a week. And I'm out there getting the car ready and it's like, you know, 11, 12 o'clock and he gobbled and I'm like, holy shit, this bird is right there. And I'm like, I mean, this is still probably, you know, half a mile away, but he's on top of Ridge so I can hear it plain as day. Well, I run into my wife. I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go try to hunt this bird real quick. She's like, what? So she wasn't too happy anyways. I'm like, sorry, I got to go. So I threw my stuff on. And before I walked out of the driveway, I grabbed my crystal slate or my crystal call, friction call and cut as hard as I could. I said, if this bird answers me, I'm going to go. And he answered me. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. So I took off across the creek, went over this little hill, went over across the pond and went up and uh, had to cross a barbed wire fence, got to the edge of it. And I hit the crow call and he gobbled. And he was probably about a hundred yards away at this point on the other side of this ridge. And, uh, I sat there for about 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, he sounded close. I didn't want to spook him. It was pretty open in there. And he was doing about, just about like what you said, Well, he was just gobbling like maybe once every five, six minutes, I'd give him a soft yelp. He didn't answer me. So I'm like, okay, God, what do I do? So I'm sitting there looking at my watch and I'm literally like, I have got to go. So at this point, I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to go for it. I have nothing to lose right now. So I got my mouth call in. I just start walking in the direction the last time I heard him. Probably hadn't heard him about 10 minutes. I start walking and I'm clucking and, you know, I'm walking. So it's loud. Obviously, I sound like a turkey. Well, all of a sudden he gobbles. He's right on the other side of this ridge top. And I, when I'm walking now, I always try to pick a tree. Like if I know kind of have an idea of where that bird is i'll pick the biggest tree i can find in between me and him and i'll say okay i'm going to keep that tree between me and where i think this bird is and walk behind it just in case so i get to this tree and he gobbled and i'm like my god i'm like he is so close i've got to be able to see him well i stuck my head out just my eye around the side of the the tree and this gobbler is strutting again in a laurel thicket back and forth about 60 yards back and forth back and forth this bird, I now at this point, I'm like, I'm not going to say another word. I hadn't yelped in about probably five, six minutes, and he'd only gobbled maybe four or five times in, this whole time. So I'm like, I'm not going to make another sound. And, and I had a huge advantage, obviously, because I could see this turkey. Um, but he was strutting in this laurel thicket, just strutting back and forth, back and forth. He sat there and strutted for about, I'm going to say, and this is no exaggeration, at least a solid 20 minutes and did not move, and did not gobble, and I did not make a sound. So it literally came to the point where I was in my head. I'm like, I've got to go. My wife's going to kill me. <laughs> so I scratched the leaves as hard as I could, and I said, in my head, I'm like, this bird has heard me. He knows I'm around. I'm going to get aggressive now that I'm within his bubble and see what he does. So I put my head the other way and cut my mouth to where I wouldn't spook him because I was so close to him. And I cut as hard as I could, and I kicked the leaves with my feet. And as soon as I did that, he came out of strut and walked 15 yards to my tree, and I drew and killed him at 15 yards. And he had 11-inch 11, 11 beard and inch-and-quarter spurs. It's, it's a decent bird. Yeah, he was, he was pretty good. <laughs> That's a fine bird, dude. That's a... So that was a, a, a good learning experience. You're talking about taking the temperature. I mean, that was, you know... It, they're they're tough to kill man but i think sometimes just like you did i mean shutting up is not is not a bad thing to do i think you know it works more than than it doesn't i hear you 
Yeah. Sorry no, for I, that tangent there. No, no, no. That was a good story. I, I'm digesting it all. That's there's a lot to be a lot to be taken in there. I think it's one of these things where you're gonna just have to get used to making these judgment calls, and you're gonna have to mess it up enough to to kind of you know. I think we touched on that maybe before we started podcasting, or maybe it was after. But you got to mess it up enough to to figure out what you're do, what to do right, you know. And you obviously figured out what you needed to do to make it successful. Then you know. Yeah, and I mean it, it is, and that's I'm glad you say that because a lot of people, you know, especially nowadays, it's like a you know an instant gratification type thing. Everybody wants something right now, and it's like you know, I, let's go hunting and, you know, let's go and I'll try to teach you as much as I can. But at the end of the day, the only reason I know this stuff is because I have messed it up so many times. You cannot be scared to mess up because that's how you learn. And, and at the same time, once you mess up, you have to be, you have to think about what you did wrong and not just be like, well, I blew that and never think about it again. Cause then you're, you're not going to know what you did wrong the next time. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. There's a phrase um, that I heard when I was younger, um, I think my dad may have said it to me something like, but you know, a mistake is worth making. If you can learn from it, it's better to have, it's better to, it's, he said, it's better to learn from other people's mistakes, but a mistake is worth making if you learn from it, you know? And, and I think, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I've just been a little bolder this year and I've just been a little more aggressive. I've tried to get a little closer to the roost and I started that transition last year. Leighton kept telling me, hey, man, they're not talking. Once they're on the ground, they're talking while they're on the roost, which is the ten. That's kind of the theme here. Typical, yeah. Um, yeah, and he's like, just if you know where they're at, take one hunt, figure out where they're at, get as tight as you can, and if you bust them, fine. And then the next day in the pitch black and dark, put on your snake boots and get in as tight as you possibly can without making any unnatural noises and uh, just, just get ready. You know, get within 75 yards of that roost tree. Um, and that began that transition of, you know what, the hell with it. I'm tired of being conservative and, 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 and hearing birds. I'd rather get in there and, uh, and, and mess up and maybe kill one by accident, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And those, they have, I keep saying the bubble. I mean, I know, you know, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you can call to a long beard and be a hundred yards away and that bird never come, never pay you attention. But if you're just 70 yards away, it's just close enough. Like I keep saying for him to. It's not inconvenient for him to come come check you out. I got one last question. I try and end this as often as possible, and I hadn't done it. I try and end every episode with this as often as possible, and that is if you could go back to your 20-year-old self or, or your, your, your 16-year-old self, whenever it is you really started hunting turkeys hard and started thinking these things through, what's the one singular piece of advice you would give yourself to shorten that learning curve now? Hmm. That's a tough one, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I never give anybody any, any advance warning on that one either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would say be more aggressive and probably don't call so much. <laughs> there you go. That was kind of the theme of our conversation today, so that makes sense. Yeah. Be aggressive, don't call so much. Yeah, but I, I I hate saying that at the same time because you know sometimes it takes it takes that you know a lot of calling to get it done. But I think more times than not, it's easy to overdo it. I hear you, man. No, I I, I agree with you. I think that's good, solid advice. I'd I'd love somebody to have said that to me more often when I was younger. I, I wouldn't have listened, but it would have been good to have heard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you and me both. Well, Bo, if if you'll hang on there for just a second, I'm gonna wrap this thing up, Jordan. Why don't you uh, share with everybody your social media? That way, if they want to look into the fellow they're listening to, they can they can uh, see all the, the trout and deer and awesome <laughs> photos that you put up there that have everybody down here this far south jealous. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I'm not big on social media. The only really platform I use is Instagram, and I'm not on there that much. But my Instagram name is uh, jhotch28, and that's I probably need to change that for my baseball days. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, man, leave it like it is. You already said it. Now you're going to go change it, and everybody's going to be like, oh, J-Hotch 28 ain't even a thing. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so if you can't find J-Hotch, hit me up, and, and I'll, I'll forward you on his new name after after we record it. No, I'm kidding. But, well, dude, I appreciate you. Hey, hang on the line, and we'll wrap this up. Guys, this has been an awesome podcast. I am sad to say that my turkey season is coming to a close this weekend. If you're listening to this, it's either Monday or later of the week of the, of the 16th, and my, my last hunt will be the 22nd of April. So I'm hoping that uh, 
cumulatively I can have learned enough from the fine individuals that we've had on this podcast, the, the turkey hunting gurus that have done far better than myself in the years past, and hopefully I'll have a, a, a good photo to show you all this weekend uh, thanks to them trying to shorten the learning curve for this dumb old country boy. But uh, if you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor. Go to iTunes, leave me a rating or review, and as my way of saying thank you, if you'll take a screenshot of that and send that to me on any social media platform, I will send you out a decal to, as my way of saying thank you. So until next time, I'm Walt. Y'all be good. Offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.